Good morning. We are so delighted to be with you today. And we're introducing the new version of Bridges. And we, it's been 20 years since we've done it. And what we did is we used a different organizational pattern because for the book, we've done so much work in the last 20 years. So in the rewrite now, we have a section on individuals, a section on institutions, a section on communities, and a section on policy. And we are excited about it. And we had four authors. And so one of the things we're looking at now is how we help communities, institutions, individuals, and policy become more effective. So one of the we have Dr. Bill Duvall with us, Terry Drusy Smith, and Jean Krebs. So Phil, I'd like to start with a question for you. What in what sets bridges apart from other approaches to poverty that you see? Well, I'm really glad to be able to field this question because I, I feel really strongly about it. Uh, we've been seeing so many places, uh, other people in this field coming into it and talking about poverty and so on. And um, our stuff, when you see it working in a community, uh, really stands out for these reasons. One, we're able to attract and engage people from all classes. We have books for people from different classes, all sectors, uh, all political persuasions, believe it or not, and uh, all races. And so when we uh, come together in a Bridges initiative using our work, the various books that go along with Bridges, uh, we're able to engage everyone that's a player, right, in this work. Uh, we also engage people in poverty with, uh, you know, books of their own, in a sense, the Getting Ahead series, we call them. And that brings them to the table. So when we start solving problems in the community, we do that together. It's not just uh, the middle class kind of laying out some great solution. It's about everything being relevant and local where you are. Now, when people in the institutions use our work, uh, they begin to make changes and they're getting really innovative and doing brilliant things and getting great outcomes. And that's why we want to share that stuff uh, with, with other communities. Uh, that means that you have everyone at the table helping those things take place. And I think that's really unique too. And what it is, we have a common language. So the, the language is being spoken by folks in poverty from the sectors and community wide. Um, so we are um, getting more effective at at moving the needle about making things happen in the community and we leave room for people to innovate and everybody loves to innovate so they get they get these core ideas of ours and then they begin using them and then we have you know we just get surprised by the brilliant things they do i mean there's a there's a person in uh north carolina who has hydroponics right and they're growing all kinds of vegetables and so on, and they're selling them in a market and getting ahead graduates are working in the market. And then people that come to shop there can pay the price according to their income. So people can buy really good produce, right, uh, at a, a, a cost that they can afford. Now you can go across the country and hear more and more brilliant things that we would never have thought of as the authors. People just keep surprising us with brilliant and wonderful things. So we're a learning community and we're always coming up with more brilliant ideas as a group and then being able to share that with each other. So we're able to 
connect judges to judges and mayors to mayors and, and have people talking and learning across the country with each other to use our ideas. When I think about bridges, I think about it as a tool in the toolbox. Um, and oftentimes it's complementary to um, other approaches and work that communities are doing. However, something, if I, if I think about what sets it apart and makes it different specifically from um, most other approaches that I've seen is um, a couple of things. One is that um, some of the concepts Bridges talks about around poverty, things like the causes of poverty, um, hidden rules of poverty, and economic class. They're really big issues um, that have a lot of information behind them, a lot of experience behind them. They're things that can be hard to talk about and understand. So I think one of the real assets of Bridges is taking these big, these big, heavy, complicated things and, and creating mental models for a community to understand what they mean. Um, you're able to present to a community group um, in a few hours and really go over these big, deep issues and help people create a framework for understanding what's behind them and what they mean. And I think that's a real asset. So that's one. The other piece is bringing the voices of those who've experienced poverty, like Nicole said, to the table. It creates an avenue for doing that. So getting ahead um, is an incredibly powerful tool and program for um, onboarding folks who have lived experience of poverty to both become more aware of their own situations and more comfortable talking about it in groups of people in the community. And I've seen a lot of organizations and people in, in communities that want to bring those voices to the table, but they're really not sure how to go about doing that and how to go about doing that in a responsible and respectful and um, effective way. So um, this is really, Bridges and Getting Ahead is really um, the first effective tool that I've seen that we've been able to use to make that happen. Terry, what is the primary shift for organizations and institutions if they want to begin to use bridges? Thank you. Um, well, before I begin what the primary shift is, I'd like to say that I just had one of those aha moments this morning when I realized that our new institutional lens really is investigative to begin with. So the organization uses a client lifecycle from the client's perspective, draws that out and looks at their theory of change before they decide what paradigm shifts might be needed. So we also have some models and instead of calling it the organizational culture, which needs to change, we call it the spirit of the organization. And we found um, some wonderful uh, spirit of motivational interviewing um, concepts that really line up with bridges. And those institutions who have used bridges and have embedded bridges and investigated their own organizations um, have looked at first before they ever begin to apply bridges is what is the spirit of their organization. So the spirit of motivational interviewing, for example, is a spirit of partnership not just with other community organizations, but with the client or customer. So is there that um, both the, that sense that both the customer and the interviewer or the case manager or whomever um, are partners? Uh, secondly, the acceptance spirit. And we really like this one. It's the deep appreciation of the inherent worth of every single customer and the dignity of every single customer. So you begin by looking at, okay, where are our strengths? What are the resources of our organizations? What's the spirit of our organization? And then we take the bridges lens 
um, that many uh, institutions have used and sort of line it up and say, what are the resources of our organization? What are the hidden rules of our organization? How do we use language and communication? And where are our strengths you know, as an organization? And where are we at risk of breaking relationship? And we have so excited about this, some wonderful models, some live models to share with you of organizations that have done this and some of the best practices are just the best. It's really cool. I have to interject something, Ruby. Uh, I need to say that we're different too because we see people in poverty as problem solvers. And I think that's really unique. And that's what brings them to the table with all their brilliant ideas and, and energy uh, to work in our communities. The other thing I need to say is that communities use our work and they come together and they are actually transformed because of the relationships that are made across class lines. And when you have a whole community working on this, different sectors and, and people that don't typically work with this, bankers and dentists and doctors, you know, all coming together to, to do something really wonderful in their community, this is transforming communities. I think between organizations and institutions, uh, especially working with certain agencies that I have and their viewpoints of people in poverty, I think that a lot of people don't understand how large um, situational poverty is for people, like how often that happens. And I think that a lot of the times they just view people in poverty as people that aren't either they're not working hard enough or they don't have a job that pays them enough. So they, those are the basic things that they look at that that they see the reason why people are in poverty is because of these two main factors, when really it's much larger than that. And there's so many different variables to how somebody can end up in poverty. And I think that when they do have the chance and they go through the bridges training and they learn this stuff, they learn that there is more to it than just that. And then they start to realize that, hey, I've been looking at these people from a different light like I'm up here they're down here it's because I worked hard to get here and this is why I'm not in poverty no it's because of a lot of other things you know and so they get to finally see from somebody else's viewpoint that wow like this really is not because they're not trying hard enough or they're not doing anything there's just circumstances that happen and I think we've seen it a lot right now with the way that the pandemic has hit a lot of people and a lot of jobs were lost and a lot of things have happened a lot more people that come from those institutions and organizations are starting to see it in a different light of what it's like for those people who are struggling hard in poverty. And now people are becoming more aware of it and more willing to actually be involved in something like this and be in partners. Gene, you wrote the policy section of the book. And can you tell us why it was so important to add that section and why you think it's a critical understanding if you're going to move institutions and communities? Well, thank you, Ruby, for asking me to be involved in this effort. And thank you for asking me to be interviewed here today on this great project. The key thing about the chapter on policy is that it comes at the end of the book because when you are familiar with the concepts and the precepts of Bridges Out of Poverty and the Getting Ahead program, it gives you all the tools you need 
to engage in policy change in your community, in your state and the country. It just gives you then a series of helpful things you can do. It basically, you already know how to do all this, but what we give you here in the chapter on policy is a series of helpful hints on how to get this done. And why is this so important for you? It's because in so many communities, the uh, executive directors of all of these various agencies that deal with policy, are they themselves, as you discover in the book and the writings, suffering through a tyranny of the moment? They are so focused on the problems that they are encountering right now with all of their people coming through those doors that they need to step back and be able to look at the totality of it, which is what Bridges teaches you how to do, and then we can then apply those lessons you already know how to do to policy. And so that's the main strength of it. And we give you really concrete things you can do that are practical and easy. You know, when I think of the work that Gene Krebs has done with Phil and the fact, even with um, Bridges Across Every Divide and the fact that you're looking at two different parties that have come together, two different perspectives, um, left and right, that have come together to understand economic environments, to understand poverty, to understand economic class. That's really, really powerful. And for many, many years, when we looked at the Bridges work, we viewed it through a triple lens. And so we really focused primarily on that individual lens, the institutional lens and community lens. And ultimately our hope was that we would be able to shape and influence policy as we effectively work through these three areas. And now we have a fourth lens, this policy lens that we, we're, continuing to, we're continuing to grow from. And so I think the timing is perfect. I would like to talk about ROI a little bit, return on investment, because one of the things that communities are looking for is scalability, um, sustainability, and return on investments. So, Phil or Gene, would you like to field that question or both of you? Well, let me take a shot at it. Uh, I, I think that there's a fellow in, in uh, Oklahoma, Muskogee, who gave me permission to give you this quote. His name is Frank Merrick. And if this doesn't get to the issue, I don't know what does. But he, he said, from 2009 until June of 2018, uh, we made $55 million in grants. He's with foundations. The best grant we ever made was to bridge us out of poverty. I think that says a lot about ROI. And I think if you get into the communities where they're using our work in a comprehensive way and have their steering committees in place and everything, is you're gonna see those kind of returns. Yes, and I agree. And the thing I've always been so struck by is how when you know how one why one person's in poverty, you now know why one person's in poverty. You know when you know why one community is struggling with poverty, you now know why one community is struggling with poverty. The bridges concepts are so adaptive to the needs of the individual and the community that they're able then to go ahead and shape those. And I, I have always been stunned at the number. So this is used, of course, it's used in education. It's used in drug rehabilitation clinics. It's used in um, 
uh, higher education to help first generation students. It's been used in for women who have been used in sex trafficking and used as drug mules to help them take control of their own lives is constantly being used and adapted by communities to fix their own problems. And as a former elected official, I will tell you that when communities themselves are able to step in and fix their own problems and help people do things, that's a burden taken off of the government. And then you don't need to establish a government bureaucracy, the funding streams, and it's a simply more effective way to handle it. And I gotta tell you, uh, as a person who keeps a tight uh, watch on dollars, this is the most cost-effective program I have ever seen to deal with a variety of problems in, um, in America, indeed the world. I call this the WD-40 of public policy. It can just about make any problem be fixed a lot more smoothly. Well, Gene, I'm glad you mentioned organizations because there is a return on investment for organizations because they're more effective uh, at getting better outcomes with populations that are at risk. Anybody can get good outcomes with resourced populations, but uh, we all know that uh, poverty throws a lot of barriers for people to change and to gain stability and sustainability. So the return on investment is there for institutions as well. Okay, one more thing. It's also there for individuals. That's why I'm going <laughs> to shut up here. So, Stan Smith from Toledo, Ohio, spent many, many years in prison. And now, he once a week cooks, cooks a meal for 250 people in his community. Is that a return on investment? That's amazing. Well, I think sustainability is first on understanding of truth understanding of the facts. Uh, you, if you have assumptions, you might be able to get started, but you're not going to sustain something that isn't really grounded in reality. So the first thing Bridges gives us is that we're basing our programs on what is true, on what is real, not what we perceive it to be. Secondly, by building partnerships, we realize that our programs are not based on one organization or one sector of the community by being collaborative, by being partners, not only within the social sector, but across the community. Again, with the business, with government, with faith-based, with arts and entertainment, with healthcare, we have a lot more contributors to creating the program. But perhaps most importantly, the Bridges story is the greatness, the potential of people who are in poverty. That they are gifted, that they are problem solvers, that their life experiences, although difficult, have given them a certain fiber and a capacity that is desperately needed in our communities. So the greatest engine of sustainability is when the folks we're serving increasingly become the, leader, lead, the leaders. They become the stakeholders. That truly is the engine that can drive long-term sustainability. And our best stories of bridges in Schenectady is the stories of individual men and women and families that are now sustainable themselves and not only living better lives for themselves and their families, but emerging as genuine leaders who are building a stronger community. One more question and then we, we will be finished. What advice would each of you give to a community who's thinking seriously about engaging or an institution? What's for each of you, what are two pieces of advice you would give that community, that uh, institution? I think that um, 
we often talk about, we have our mental models or our paradigms of how the world works and economic class is no exception. And so um, I often say to people, there's always gonna be people who are attracted to bridges and those that aren't. And to find leadership that is attracted to these innovation, uh, to the innovative ideas and have vision and are positive and start at that point. Um, so those, it, it all, you know, it does come from the top, but sometimes we have grassroots uh, strategies that I think Bridges has kind of been, been a grassroots strategy from the get-go. But I think that to find that leadership that's attracted is one of the biggest pieces that we've seen in communities and institutions for change. And what I, what I want to mention to folks is that you need to be emotionally and intellectually ready to have your road to Damascus. By that I mean that you will, when you read these books and you begin to uh, talk to people engaged in this effort, it completely rearranges how you begin to view many societal issues and problems, and then you begin to apply what you've read and the concepts that have applied to your situation or to the situations of your community or state, you begin to apply those in manners that suit your needs. And if you watch the very first video I did, oh, 10 years ago now, where I first interviewed Phil, you can see on there, my, you can see, you look through my eyes, you can see my brain rearranging all of its neurons <laughs> as I'm talking to Phil in that interview. And it really does do this to you. All right. And one of the things that we're excited about is that we not just want to stabilize, but we also want to move people to thriving and look at all the ways you can do that at the individual level, the institutional level, and the community level, and the policy level. So we are what we I would call operational research in many ways. Notre Dame did a research project on getting ahead in bridges. And one of the things they said is that there's a lot of theory out there, but very few people actually engage in the messiness of the work and come out with workable solutions that are adaptive. So we, we offer this to you. Uh, the book will be released in November. And thank you so much for being a part of our uh, session this morning.